Thank you, Molly and Rod, and thank you all for the wonderful music this morning as we've worshipped and shared together. Uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be thinking together about moving from captivity to activity, uh, moving from uh, the prison of what used to be in our lives to a life of engaged service, all of us. And uh, before we do that, I want to in invite us to a time of prayer. Uh, if you want to be turning in your Bibles to Exodus, the 18th chapter, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 and read through the end of that 18th chapter of Exodus. But uh, before we do that, I'll invite us to a time of prayer and uh, a reminder that this is a time each week when we are awake and quiet. We are awake and still. And it's good for us to be uh, intentionally quiet in God's presence so that we might know His presence and maybe hear and experience things that we might not hear otherwise. I invite you to bow with me and form your own prayer or invite, uh, create your own space uh, for the Holy Spirit to work and then I'll lead us in a prayer time. Thank you, mighty God, for being the great liberator and for leading us from captivity to activity, from a life of being enslaved to a life of freedom, free to serve you, to serve others. We thank you for leading us from a life of being waited on to a life of serving, from a life of selfishness to one of joyful Christian witness and service. And we pray this morning that we will receive from your message what you have for us, that our lives and our church and our world would be different because of the time that we spent together. We thank you, God, to be a part of a church that has a vision for the whole world and a vision of going and doing, not just sitting and praying and talking. To that extent, we pray for your richest blessings upon the South Dakota team as they travel the Kenya team as they travel, that you might bless them with health and rest, that all of the uh, uh, transitions through airports and customs and all the transitions culturally, that all of those things will go smoothly, that we might uh, be with them in spirit and that together we might be humble to realize that we have just as much to receive as we do to give in these mission endeavors. And we pray that the Holy Spirit might bless all of their work in a powerful and glorious way. We are troubled today, God, as we uh, read the headlines about uh, new unrest in Iraq. We pray that you might intervene and bring peace there and in Afghanistan. We pray for uh, the troubled situation in Ukraine, and we pray that you might bring peace and particularly bless our partner congregation, our church plant there, and their pastor and his family, that you will protect them and, and give them the unique gifts they need to cope and to thrive during these challenging times. We pray for displaced people all over the earth today, for hungry people in the world today. We pray for those in harm's way serving in the military, that you will protect them and bless their families. We pray for our missionaries and our partners everywhere. 
We ask God that you bless those in our congregation who are struggling today with illness, with bad news, with troubled relationships, with job stress, uh, with the grief of a, of a death of a loved one or the death of a relationship. We ask God that you gather us up in your arms, that you love us with your tender love, but you also speak that strong t- truth to us that we need today to be your faithful people. We want to be yours. We want to love you more. We pray that the power of Jesus Christ would be working in our time together. Through Christ we pray. Amen. The scripture this morning is from Exodus 18, verses 13 through uh, the end of the chapter. And I'm going to read this aloud. I invite you to stand if you are able. And I'll read this aloud from Exodus 18, 13 and following. The next day Moses sat as judge for the people while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make known to them the statutes and the instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You should represent the people before God and You should bring their causes, their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and the instructions and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men from all Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor case they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went off to his own country. God's word for us. May he bless it. You may be seated. I want to begin this morning by sharing a make-believe story. It's a story I shared a few weeks ago at our Saturday equipping workshop. So some of you have heard it uh, and you'll recognize it, but for some of you it will be new. It's, it's a pretend story. It's a, it's a, it's a what-if. It's a make-believe. I want you to assume for the sake of our discussion this morning that uh, we discovered as a congregation that there was $300,000 in cash buried beneath the floor of one of our rooms here in our church facility. $300,000 ours, uh, free to claim, 
untapped, unused, just ours for the taking, but it's buried under the floor uh, in one of the rooms of our uh, many facilities. And to get to it, we have to tear up the floor. We have to maybe move a wall. We have to maybe move some furniture. We have to uh, create some sawdust and some noise. In other words, there'll be some mess. But we'll go through that mess and we'll endure it because uh, we have that wonderful cash gift to claim. Well, it's not $300 cash, but there is a rich treasure that's buried in this church. It is the rich treasure of the giftedness of men and women and boys and girls, volunteers just waiting in the wings to be invited to the table to be engaged in meaningful ministry. It's the opportunity for all of us to take up ministry and serve Christ together. And if that's going to happen, if we're going to claim that untapped resource of volunteers just waiting to serve, waiting to be engaged, waiting to be brought to the table of service, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to move some walls, going to have to be doing some things differently than we've done them in the past, thinking about things in a different way, maybe some sawdust, maybe some noise, maybe some mess. But my vision for this church is that we become an equipping congregation, a congregation where every member is engaged as a minister, where every person finds her or his spiritual gift and passion, where we are all engaged and we are all serving. And to do that, we'll have to learn some difficult lessons that Moses had to learn that we read about in Exodus, the 18th chapter. Now, Moses was a great guy. He was a phenomenal revolutionary leader. But have you noticed as you read history and as you observe current events today that not all revolutionary leaders make good leaders of things when they stabilize? That sometimes the skill set that's needed to lead a courageous revolution is a different skill set that is needed for established governance. Now, Moses was phenomenal as a revolutionary leader, but at this point, before he got his lecture from his father-in-law, he was not doing so well as an established leader. He was trying to hear everyone's case by himself. And there was this backlog, and he was worn out, and the people were frustrated. Moses was not delegating. He was trying to do it all himself, and it wasn't working. And you know, sometimes that happens in our congregations. You may be leading a ministry team or a, a Bible teaching small group uh, or a, a church committee or an organization or a particular ministry project, and you're trying to do it all yourself. And we all fall into that trap because we think that's the right way and we think that's easier. I have to confess to you that it dawned on me uh, some time back uh, in my own life that doing it myself rather than engaging and equipping others is really a form of laziness. You ever think about that? Doing it ourselves is a socially acceptable form of laziness because, frankly, it's easier to do it ourselves than to train someone else. To train someone else is messy, takes more time, takes more energy. 
even though it is the biblical way. And so we all have a lot to learn about equipping others, involving others, and engaging others. Now, uh, lest you miss the whole point, the point of this sermon is not listen to your father-in-law, although there are times when that'd be good advice. Moses, listen to your father-in-law. It goes a little deeper than that because what's fascinating about this scripture, even though this event happened ages and ages ago, many cultural language Uh, all kinds of differences. There are eternal truths that are always true about human nature and about leadership. What's fascinating is that across the centuries, the lessons that Moses learned are the same lessons that you and I need to learn. And I want to list some of those lessons for you and let you see them in the text. They're they're right here in front of us. First of all, his father-in-law said to him, you are exhausting yourself and others. That's in verse 18. You know, Uh, Moses' father-in-law was just blunt. You're wearing yourself out. What's more, Moses, you're making everybody else tired too. You ever think about that? Think about all the people standing in line who never get their case heard and they have to come back the next day and start all over again. Think about all of the pent-up frustration that things are not going well. And he says it's just exhausting. The second thing, also in verse 18, you cannot do God's work alone. When will we ever learn that? When we are born spiritually through Jesus Christ, we are placed in a church family, the body of Christ, and it was never God's purpose that we do God's work alone. God calls us to do the work together. And I love the father-in-law's bluntness. You can't do this by yourself. Verse 18, you can't do it by yourself. And then the third one, use your teaching time to train and equip others. Verse 20, he says... Yes, by all means, Moses, teach what you've been teaching, but teach in such a way that you're training others to help carry the load. It's that old adage, you can give a hungry person a fish, or you can teach that hungry person to fish. And the second option multiplies the possibilities for people being fed. And so what God says to Moses through his father-in-law is use your teaching time, but use it to equip others. And then the fourth one is appoint people of good reputation. Character comes first. I want to look at verse 21 for just a moment and uh, really emphasize that. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers over thousands hundreds, fifties, and tens. Character comes first. Moses' father-in-law said to Moses, people can learn skills. Skills can be taught, but look for people whose reputation and character are strong. Look for godly people, people who can be trusted. And notice how Scripture always starts with character, always starts with our heart before it starts talking about what we're supposed to do. You know, there's a New Testament equivalent of that uh, that is, uh, that is the, the qualifications 
for a pastor in 1 Timothy 3 and then the qualifications for a deacon. And I want to spend a few moments this morning because our church is getting ready to go through a deacon selection process. And deacon ministry is just one way in which lay people are equipped to carry the ministry along with us. But it's interesting as you read 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13, that the scriptural qualifications focus on the heart, the reputation, the character of the individual, man or woman. But there's not a lot said in scripture about the particular duties. Let's let's look at this together. Deacons must be respectable, not double-tongued, moderate in the amount of wine they drink, and with no squalid greed for money. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They are first to be examined and admitted to serve as deacons only if there is nothing against them. Similarly, women must be respectable, not gossips, but sober and wholly reliable. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and must be people who manage their children and their households well. Those of them who carry out their duties as well uh, as deacons uh, will earn a high standing for themselves and an authoritative voice in matters concerning faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as you think about what you just heard, there was nothing about what deacons do, but everything about who deacons are, about the heart. Now, I can think of several reasons for that. Obviously, all ministry springs from the heart. All ministry of service springs from our love relationship with Jesus Christ. But I think the other reason that we uh, see so much in Scripture about character and not so much about duties is that those duties change over time. Those responsibilities evolve as cultures change, as churches have different focus, as churches have different ministry identity, as churches go through various stages of their own congregational life so that change is inevitable, so that the task of deacons might change. By the way, you know this probably, the word deacon in Greek means servant. It is the key responsibility of deacons to be servants. And simply translated, it means someone who runs errands, someone who does chores, so that whatever the church needs, that's what the deacons carry out. Errand runners, the ones doing the chores. Uh, in our own congregation, a few years ago, our deacons went through a very intentional process of self-discovery and redefined their mission. And this was not a mission imposed upon them by the staff or the church constitution, but something that they uh, agreed upon and arrived at among themselves. And, and their, their mission is to support the church leadership staff as we carry out together the church's mission. That is to say, it's their job to be encouragers, to be a sounding board, to be those who give counsel and wise advice, those that receive input, those that uh, listen to us and pray with us. Part of our meeting, we sit around tables in small groups and uh, different leadership staff pastors will share with a deacon team about about direction and ministry and receive feedback, pray, being prayed for personally by that deacon team. It's a powerful ministry. And besides those support and counsel and encouragement ministries, the deacons have chores. The deacons run errands. They help receive the offering on Sunday morning. That's an important ministry. 
Just ask our church treasurer if you don't think that's an important ministry. Uh, they help with communion services, serving the Lord's Supper, and, and many, other, many other things. And so the focus is on the character of the men and women chosen to be deacons because the church and the deacons will, uh, over the generations, perhaps change the function, but be the ones who carry forth the chores of the church's ministry. I want you to notice in this story about Moses that because of the way ministry was to be structured as equipping others to serve too, every small task was infused with importance and significance. Think about it. Moses organized them by thousands, by hundreds, by fifties, by tens so that even the small tasks are infused with importance and significance. You see, through the love of Jesus Christ, the little becomes much. The small tasks become big tasks in Christ's church. They're all important jobs. So that whether we're talking about deacon ministry or any ministry in and through this church that you feel called to, every job is important. And that means that the church needs to constantly create a culture of calling. Not just a calling to be a missionary overseas or to go into the pastoral ministry, but a calling upon each of our lives. The church should cultivate a culture of calling. And the second part of that is that we should be answering that call and stepping up to service. Every Christian a minister. Every person stepping in to service. You know, the longer I am at the business of ministry, the more I'm convinced that 90% of Christian service is just showing up. Just showing up. Be where you're supposed to be. Be faithful. 90% of it is just stepping up and showing up. And as Yogi Berra would say, the other half is mental. Just show up and do what God has called you to do. So that Here's what happens in an, equip, in an equipping church, a congregation that practices engaged ministry of all believers. Leaders and pastors stop asking the church members, what could we do for you? And we start asking, what can we do together for Christ and for others? See, not what can we do for you, But what can we do together and what can we do to involve others and equip others in this Christian mission? It's all about engagement, discovering that untapped energy that is available and waiting to be brought to the table of Christian service. Uh, Recently uh, in a store, I ran into this delightful young Christian woman uh, I've known her and known her family for a long time. They don't, don't go to church here, but 
she just recently graduated from high school. And uh, I was asking her about plans, and she told me about college, and then she told me this beautiful story. She said, yeah, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do, but then as part of my high school degree and part of uh, the advanced credits for college, I did this shadowing of some school uh, classroom teachers, and I got assigned to South School, which is our partner school, right? And she said, in fact, I shadowed two of your church members at First Baptist Church. They're followers of Christ, and they're members of our church. And this young lady shadowed two of our teachers. And she said, after shadowing them, I went home and told my parents, I finally know what God wants me to do. God wants me to be a school teacher, to be a, a Christian school teacher and make a difference in this world. And her eyes were bright and her face was lit up because she had discovered God's call on her life and she had discovered her passion. As James was telling the children, you see these stores in, uh, these signs in store windows. Help wanted. Inquire inside. Help wanted. Inquire within. Well, here it is, First Baptist family. Help wanted. Inquire within your community. Look around and see what it is. See where there's pain and brokenness and see what makes your heart race and what God's calling you to. Help one it. look within. Look within your church. Where is there a ministry that, that excites you, that energizes you? Where is there a place of service where you could step up and make a difference? Help one it. look within, within your own hearts. Inquire inside. See where it is that God is working. And listen for God's voice and find a place of service that Christ can be honored and his kingdom go forward. Let's pray together.